0: Good morning. Today is March 10th, and we're here at the Central Library. Um, my name is Tanya Evans, and I'm here with Anthony uh, with the Our Streets, Our Stories project. And so, Anthony, can you please tell us what your Brooklyn story is? Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Actually, uh, my name is Anthony LaCardo. I grew up in, uh, I was born in 1965 in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, which was a fantastic place to live. I actually had a lot of friends of my own age. Um, you know, back in those days we played street games. A lot of there was no video games or internet back then, so you played street games like stickball, punch ball, Johnny on the pony, uh which was a tough game tougher game than it sounds actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually a game where you line up backs that this one guy was a pillow, and there's lines of guys and the other team has to jump as hard as they can on the back to try to break the chain. So it was <laughs> these are the kind of things we did in Brooklyn for fun, you know. Um we played Skelly, all that type of stuff, but I grew up on Jerome Street uh, between Arlington and Jamaica Avenue, about a block away from Highland Park. And uh, Highland Park was actually my second home. I was up there all the time. And that's where a lot of the neighborhood kids congregated up in the park. Or we played you know, games on our streets. And we hung out late at night on summer nights. Um, and I, I kind of feel sorry for some of the younger generation because they'll never really know what it's like to experience what the real brooklyn was like it's completely different now you know it's a different place to live how was the park uh, at night Oh, the park at night well you know if you knew people and you're from the neighborhood you could go there at night but a lot of times you know a lot of gangs hung out there at night but we i would go up there with my father at night we'd take walks and with the dog and everything like that and we talked to all the friends and any gang members are out there we knew them all so it was not not really a A big problem for us, but you know, if you were from outside the neighborhood, maybe it probably wasn't advisable to do that. Um, My parents also grew up in in the area. They were born and raised in East New York in the nineteen twenties, and they lived there until nineteen fifty, and then they moved to Europe. And then when they came back home, um, they moved back to East New York in nineteen sixty nine, and that was kind of our story, you know, living there that, that whole time in East New York growing up. there—it's the only place I've lived in, San Francisco, California, Hong Kong, and Japan. East New York is the only place that I've ever considered my real home. You know, they kind of say that home is where you hang your hat, but uh, I don't really believe that. I think your spirit lies in an area where you grew up and that's where you have your roots. And that's where I learned, you know, about life in general, Um, you know, how to be street smart, people smart, you learn how to deal with all different types of people, especially growing up in Brooklyn. You know, you, you know, it's, it's not an easy place to grow up, but it was a really fun place. It was great. We used to have block parties, which I don't see anymore. Um, they used to shut down the streets, like you know, usually once every every year in the summer. In the summer, and you'd have you know food and games and all that kind of stuff, and you, you don't don't see that very much anymore. You know, we and another thing that was a real this thing was not just. For Brooklyn, but for, I think, all the five boroughs, pe- people used to open up the fire hydrants, the Johnny pumps, we used to call them, in the summer, and, you know, we would normally, like, play in the water there. So the firefighters would give us, they'd give one person on the block, like, a sprinkler cap to put on so we wouldn't waste water. Because what would happen is, if there was a fire or anything like that, the water pressure's down, they they didn't have any water to put out the fire. So we would do that. We would, you know, play with the, playing the fire hydrant, play on the streets. It was just, you know... I mean, it's it's really hard to explain when I think about... Sometimes when I listen to music from that period, it takes me back to a a single moment. And I feel like I'm in that moment, actually living it, you know, as I could see it very vividly, you know? And I also have uh, two older brothers who were born and raised there as well, and a younger sister. And, um, you know, we... It was was fun. We used to have these jams in the park. A lot of times a DJ would come up there in the summer with the turntables, and, you know, they'd go up to the basketball courts in Highland Park, and they'd play a lot of jams, and, you know, people would be dancing, having a good time, just talking to each other. It was a real community thing, you know. And the one thing that I loved about Brooklyn as opposed to living in other places is that you knew your neighbors there. You know, when you came out, you said hello to everybody. everybody. Everybody knew your business, too, you know, so that kind of thing. But, you know, I've lived in different places in California and, you know, you'll live next to someone for 10 years and they never say hello to you, you know. And that's what I kind of miss about the old Brooklyn, you know. That was, that was fun. And we were on the borderline of Cypress Hills, too, which is another area in Brooklyn as well. So I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, in East Brooklyn, in Queens, in that area, you know. We used to go down at actually at night, I used to go down and the pizzeria is still there, Katerina Pizza on... Essex Street in Fulton, a guy named Vito runs it, Vito and Sal. Sal actually left and got his own place years ago, but Vito is still there, beloved in the community. You ask anybody from that area, they will know who he is. So I used to go down there late at night and get these giant meatball heroes all the time, you know, and pizza, you know, hang out with my friends there. And it was fun, you know. It was, um, the 70s were distinctly different from the 80s. When you grew up there in the 70s, you know, there was a lot of... uh, You know, New York was not in good shape in the 70s. A lot of drugs in the area. um, A lot of poverty. You know, people were just trying to survive and get by. It was really... And and you saw it, too. You you walk the streets, there a lot of burnt-out buildings and stuff like that. Uh, Especially when you you went down to Sutter Avenue, there was a lot of that in the, the churches. And I think some of the synagogues in the area, the East Brooklyn Project, they call it the Nehemiah Project. They actually built these small houses so that people could have ownership of a small house they would buy it for like five thousand dollars they got a loan and people took a lot of pride in their community that way they took areas that were like urban blight and kind of built them up you know so it was and the 80s were a little bit better you know you had your your times the 80s were nice the early 90s i actually moved to california in 93 but there was a big epidemic of uh the crack epidemic, which actually devastated part, especially East Brooklyn was completely devastated by that. Mm-hmm. And uh now eighties of- was, you know, you had a lot of a uh, lot of fun in the eighties, a lot of music and it was color it was kind of a colorful time, you know. We'd watch Miami Vice on Friday night, then go and hang out, you know. <laughs> so you know, it was it was the eighties were fun. It was a lot of fun. We had um, also uh, B Boying, which a lot of people know as breakdancing. There were a lot of those type of jams on the streets. People doing that type of thing. I didn't do it myself, but my friends were were big into that, you know, rapping and all that stuff. So there was a lot of creativity going on in New York City at that time, you know. Um, the '90s, early '90s, were difficult times, and then I had moved away to uh, California for about uh, 19 years, and I came back just last year. I moved back to New York. Unfortunately, I can't afford to live in Brooklyn anyway. <laughs> I, I love it, but, you know, it's hard to afford, yeah. so, but it was, uh, yeah, it was great times, so I can't, you know, when I think about that, I, actually, I drove to East New York today on my way here, oh, Yeah, it was great, I just had to get, I wanted to get the mindset back, I go there quite often, you know, when I want to think about the past, or, and, you know, some of it looks different, but I could still visualize everything. I know where everything is and it's you know, it's my old neighborhood, you know. There yeah, a lot of hills over there now. A lot of, on Miller Hill. If you go up to Highland Boulevard there and then you go down Miller Hill. We some people used to skateboard down the hill which was crazy, you know? Bicycling, stuff like that. That's crazy. But another thing, Highland Park, where the baseball fields are in the lower park there, that was a great place for sleigh riding in the winter. Probably the best place in the entire city because you would come from up on the hill where you kind of cross Highland Boulevard where the hill started, and you would sleigh ride down the hill, and then there was a path there, and there was a thing called the hump, which they got rid of. You'd fly over that. You Usually go down with a big car hood, and with about a bunch of guys on, and you'd fly through the air. And whoever was actually still on the board when you got down to the bottom, all the way down, and there was a big solid iron wrought fence there. You had to stop before you hit Jamaica Avenue. So it was a great. That was a great place in the winter time as well. You know. Car hoods, you, just. you take like an old car hood or something, somebody bring it up, you know, you find these abandoned cars in the area and you get on a car hood and just go down or a sleigh, whatever, if you could afford a sleigh, it was good, you know. <laughs> but the car hood was much more fun because, you know, you had like about five guys on it and you would just go, you know. That was kind of fun. I enjoyed that. But there were so many things about that area that you just... Um, a very historical area, too, you know, the reservoir. I mean, it was one of the original reservoirs in the city that, you know, pumped water through the city. I think if you read Rick Gomes's book about East New York and Cypress Hills, he covers a lot of the history of the area. It's a very interesting book, and there's also a website for East New York as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been on that uh, www.tapeshare.com. That's a great website because you can actually go back there and see some of the things like if you go to Atlantic Avenue, where the Carvel is now... Well, there's no more Carvel. It's now like a Dunkin' Donuts. Across from the White Castle. White Castle used to be in the same spot, but on the other side of the parking lot years ago. They moved it to the other side, and there was a Carvel there as well. So, If you lived in the area for a while, you knew like where everything was and stuff like that. But it's, um, it's changed a lot, you know? It's become a lot more peaceful there. What was the... Um I guess the Democrat, maybe in the '70s, like, who lived in the neighborhood? Mostly, um, it was it was pretty mixed. It was mostly Hispanic. I would say uh, mostly Puerto Rican. Uh, some Dominicans just started to, to immigrate to New York City at that time. Uh, you had some leftover Italians and Irish who were still there. African Americans, you know, so it was pretty pretty mixed. The people got along pretty well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the gang members sometimes you may have a problem with them. If you didn't know them, but I don't think they, they cared really what race you were. they just wanted looking for trouble, <laughs> you know that type of thing. but the demographics now, I think you, you still have, you have a lot of Hispanics there, um, African Americans, you have some Asians moved in now' a few Indians as well, so the demographics in the city change. everybody's looking for the slice of the American dream, you know yeah, definitely. I think for the most part, people have gotten along. Pretty well, there. and when I lived there, I mean, we had some, there were little things of racial tension. I didn't really participate in that because I had friends from all walks of life, you know. I didn't believe in that stuff. I like, you know, I like everybody, so. What, what schools did you go to? I went to a PS 108, which is now the Salabraciamento school. And um, the story of Salabraciamento, actually, he was a guy who saved PS 108. It's a school on, Lin, on Linwood and Arlington Avenue. It's an old building from the 1800s, and he he actually saved that school. They were going to close it, and he got a group of the residents together. He owned a restaurant. They were a restaurant family in the area, and he owned a restaurant, and he was able to save the school, and uh, thankfully so, because I, you know, I wouldn't have a school to go to in the area, you know. But he actually the funny thing is, I met his son when I I met his grandson when I lived in Hong Kong. I saw a guy's restaurant. My friend sent me a thing. Hey, he's a guy from Brooklyn, New York. is an Italian restaurant, and I'm looking at the history and. This guy, Rob Spina, his, his maternal grandfather was Salabrachimento. I saw the photos up on his wall in the restaurant, so I went in there and started talking to him. I was telling him about the old neighborhood, you know, that uh, I didn't know his, his grandfather. His grandfather died, I think, you know, when I was a little kid. But um, And I also went to IS-302, uh, which I think closed last year. It was one of the schools that would close. It was actually a newer school, too. It opened in the early 70s. It's down on... Um, Atlantic Avenue between, uh, I think it's Elton and, uh, was it Elton and Linwood, I think it was. So I went there. That was a tough school, man. That was rough being there. I enjoyed it a lot, but, uh, and I was best friends with the biggest guy in the school, so I didn't have any problems, but they had a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, some racial tension there as well, you know. Um, high school, I went, actually, I, I went to the high school of performing arts, a fame school. I got into that school. I was a musician, you know, so I went there. So I didn't have to go to the neighborhood school, but my parents went to Franklin K. Lane. They grew up there, you know, which is, I think that's now closed also. It's a beautiful school, too, yeah. Closed? Oh. Closed, yeah. They use it for something else, but it's really, it was a uh, beautiful place, too. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. They used to have a lot of problems there as well because you had a kids from Woodhaven would come in, and kids from East New York and stuff. And there would be all kinds of, I heard some racial tensions and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, I, I didn't like participating in those types of things. It's just it's ridiculous, you know. Did you visit the, uh, the library? Lines? Oh, yeah. It's, it's right off of Warwick and uh, Ashford Street. That would go there all the time. I liked that. I remember the old librarian who was there. She used to come near the tennis course. When I was playing tennis, I'd always see her sitting there watching, you know. She was probably watching to make sure I brought my books back in time. <laughs> now, the library was cool. It's still there. That's an old, beautiful building. It's a be- the staircases are beautiful in that building. I don't know if you've been to that. But the, when you come down, this, um, two, so when you walk in, there's the librarian's desk there. And there's a staircase that goes up this way and on the other side as well. It's, it's quite beautiful, you know. My father and mother used to go to that library when they were kids, back in the 1930s and early 40s, during the World War Two years, yeah, so it was, you know, and the trains we took, obviously the, the J train, or the A train, you know, you take the J to East Parkway, transfer for the A, you know, and that was, um, you know, that's basically... Do you remember your training rides? Oh, yeah. I remember them in the morning. Oh, my God. When I when I used to go to school in the city, I, I mean, we didn't really go to the city that much because we didn't have much money, you know. It was kind of a treat to go into Manhattan, but I would go every day when I got into high school. You take the, the J train, I get off out of Essex and Delancey, and take the F up to 4750 at Rockefeller Center. And the ride through Brooklyn was, you know, we went to some of the toughest areas there, but the F train was the worst because... It was late every day, and you're squeezing into the train, so it was, um, you know, but the train ride was kind of fun. You get to go through different parts of Brooklyn. Other friends I knew who lived in different parts, actually, would get on the train at certain times, and we'd all congregate and start talking and, you know, laughing and stuff. We were loud like most kids were, you know. But that was, yeah, that was uh, definitely an experience. But the city was definitely something until high school that I didn't get to experience that often in Manhattan, you know. We always thought, oh, all well, the rich people went there, we didn't have a lot of money, you know, but my grandfather he he had lived in Spain for a while, and he um when he would come to visit, he would sometimes take me into the city, which was kind of nice because it was it was a completely different experience for me, you know, growing up in Manhattan and Brooklyn, Brooklyn's like another world, just like the Bronx, I think people in the Bronx consider the Bronx another world too, you know it's completely different. Maybe five boroughs make up one city, and the people are similar, but their areas are very different and the one thing about Brooklyn, you knew they were like these invisible boundaries. No one said, "Don't cross this street into this area." You just knew this is my safety zone. this is I don't go beyond this point because I don't really know anybody over here. so it was I mean Brooklyn was a, a place where you know it was it was an area where you had to be able to handle yourself physically. And mentally as well. You had to be smart and know, you know, be street smart and also be able to handle yourself if you had to, you know. And it's always been that way. I don't know if it's that way now, but years ago when my father grew up, he said the same thing. You had to be able to to deal with problems if you needed to, you know. Yeah, at the time I was teaching tennis also in the 80s um, in the uh, summer tennis program over there. You'd have kids come up. You know, it was a free program sponsored by the city. And we'd have, you know, two, 300 kids on the court, and, you know, they had something to do in the summertime. They get into trouble. They played a little bit of tennis, you know. It was kind of nice. My brother used to play basketball up there as well, and football. So, you know, we tried to, my father helped out a lot of the kids in the community who had problems, you know. If they, you know, a lot of times they couldn't talk to their parents about stuff, so they felt comfortable talking to him, and he would teach them tennis and, you know, talk to them and stuff, so. I would give anything to be able to go back, just even for one day to those times, you know, just to kind of remember that, you know? Yeah, his uh, pupils become... Like big tennis players? No, no, no. I mean, they played some tournaments and stuff like that, but uh, I taught also at the parade grounds here that summer as well. Yeah, right here in Prospect Park. We had this one kid, Richard, man. He was really talented, very gifted. And um, I set him up with a teacher. I didn't know what happened. I kind of lost contact with him, but he was a uh, pretty gifted. But I never saw him as a pro or anything like that, so I guess it's not what he wanted to do, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Tennis in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, tennis is... Actually, Highland Park now has a really big tennis program. Mm -hmm. They've actually taken the courts that you had... Years ago, we had 14... There were 14 courts, and there were also um, 13 courts, actually. And then right down below, where the... I think it's a soccer field now, um, used to be red clay courts. But nobody ever maintained them, because, you know, red clay courts, they use them in Europe, and, you know, you have to know what you're doing to maintain the clay. So, you know, we would basically play on the courts there. And now they have little courts they set up for the kids, you know, when you first start. So it's not this big court, you know, you kind of get them geared to hand-eye coordination and stuff, so there's a big program going on up there as well. Community is kind of thriving now, you know? It's it's nice to go back and, and see that, that, you know, people are, not as many kids around there though, you know? Like I know if I was growing up there at this time, I'd probably be a little disappointed because, you know, who who would you go out and play with? You know, it's when I was a kid, there were just, I, I mean, literally hundreds of kids in the area, your own age, that you, we'd play games and all kinds of stuff. It was great, you know? And you, you don't really see that it's a lot more quiet now, which is, um, you know, I guess for kids it's not great, but for adults it's, it's an area I walk through there at night and during the day. It's pretty safe now, which most of New York is. They've kind of... Crack down on a lot of stuff, you know, definitely. When I left New York in the early nineties there were twenty two hundred homicides a year during the crack epidemic, and now there's like I think there's like less than three hundred. So which is incredible for a city of ten million people, you know. You put it in perspective. Yeah, no, definitely they you know. What other, uh, I mean you mentioned Caterina, what about any other like eateries? Oh eateries, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, the pizzeria, we had, oh yeah, there was a place that I used to go to when, when we were, I was a little kid that I closed in the early 70s, was a place, and I asked Rick Gomes about this, who wrote about East New York Project, he was going to look into it because he didn't remember a place, it was right off of Warwick, between Warwick and Ashford, closer to Warwick, on Atlantic Avenue. Uh, meatball heroes they make in this place. It was an Italian restaurant called Charlie's. And this guy, mm-hmm. you walk in there, and this guy was about 60 years old, and he had his mother in the back who was about 90-something years old, and she's always greeted. She couldn't speak much English. She was from Italy, you know. And I still can remember the smells of the meatball heroes when I would walk in there. It was an incredible place, really great. I don't know if many people in the area remember it. The place was around since my parents were in high school, so they remembered it. But I'll tell you one thing that kids in this area will remember, Nick the Ice Cream Man. Nick was a guy from Greece, and he would, you know, he, he'd go back to Greece after the summer. He'd come in the spring and the summer, and he'd live here, and he'd bring his ice cream truck around, and all the kids would go running out there. I mean, we had four trucks but we had You had Nick, you had Carousel, which was a guy named Frank. You had Freezer Fresh, which was a green truck. It was another Greek guy. And then there was a Mr. Softy that would come once in a while. But Nick was the real popular one. He'd come out and the kids just loved him. He was a great guy. He was a guy in his 50s. And, and he had a, a song. He, he just, you know, he would just ring the bell, you know. And people would see the truck down there and they'd be waiting. We'd see it down, like, you know, down near Atlantic Avenue. But on Jerome, that's Nick's truck. He's coming up soon. So everybody was, you know. Why was he different? Was he he just, really he was a really nice guy. And, you know, it's not only ice cream, but he also was the kind of guy that was nice to all the kids, the adults. He was a nice guy, you know. I heard he had a heart attack but he, he had survived it and he his cousin had taken over the business for a while for a few years. But I think he kind of in the mid eighties that was pretty much the end of it. But that was a really good memory for a lot of the kids on that block, you know. If you ask anyone in that area over there, especially from like Atlantic on to Jamaica Avenue and a lot of times in the summer, Nick would park up near the Highland Park entrance, the main entrance, stay there for a few hours, you know, sell ice cream and stuff like that. He was, you know. He was he was beloved in the community, you know. He definitely had that kind of thing. But I could, I could certainly tell you about some of the crime in the area. I could tell you about some of the people. Um, you know, there were guys who were World War II veterans. I would talk to them all the time. My father would tell me stories of the area when he grew up there, when he went to Franklin K Lane. Yeah, he he told me it was a you know it was a pretty great area to grow up in. It was tough even back then. East New York has never been an easy area to grow up in as far as not having to deal with trouble. But I think you could say that about any area in New York, you know, especially in Brooklyn and the Bronx, places like that, you know. He told me in high school he was a trumpet player and um, one of the kids was jealous or something like that because he was the best trumpet player. My father used to, you know, be a boxer. He did boxing and judo like most of the guys back then because he you know, was a World War II years, so all the kids were physically fit. And a group of about 20 guys grabbed him and they tried to shave off little pieces of his hair, they held him down so he wouldn't go to the concert and play. And he went and then he, he remembered, he, my mother told me a story that he went to the gym teacher and said I want to box every one of those guys including, he said I want the biggest guy first. And he hit the guy with one shot and the guy's knees buckled and just the guy just went down and you know and the teacher stopped it right away and he said what you learn what you learn to fight like that and yeah. he's like eh, you know he studied boxing judo did a lot of street fighting yeah. and my father had run-ins with the gangs they were kind of some of the gangs were afraid of him up in Highland park they didn't mess with him mm-hmm. you know this is kind of before the times where everybody had machine guns and all this other crap mac tens and all that but he would go out and he'd challenge all these guys he wouldn't tolerate it I mean, there was a thing at is 302 where the parents it was like a parent-teacher's meeting every month, and my brother Chris was going to the school at the time. And that was real; those were really tough areas. You had a gang called the Sex Boys and the crazy homicides down in that area, and um, a lot of times these gangs would come in and try to intimidate the parents coming out of meetings. So my father went to one of the meetings, and there were all these guys there, and you know he challenged them. And the principal, my brother remembers the principal tell him the next day your father's got some stones on him man. you know because he wasn't afraid of anyone when it came to his family it was you know the, the thing is that I remember is that my my father never sugarcoated anything for me you know was, he didn't say like oh this is the Brady Bunch and then you go outside and you see like drug dealers on the corner you see gang members whatever he never sugarcoated it he would tell us about you know the dangers of drugs and, and you know I got myself into some trouble as far as you know um maybe a couple of fights, not much or whatever, you know, just doing what kids do. But to this day, I'm going to be 51 in April. I have never touched alcohol, drugs, or cigarettes in my entire life, not even a sip of alcohol or nothing, all because I was too afraid of him. You know, my friend had asked me, I said, not only am I not interested in that, but I'm afraid of what my father would do to me if he ever caught me doing that. Because he he told us that, you know, and that's what he did. But he never said, like, oh, it's a beautiful world out there. He said, there's a lot of beautiful parts of the world, but this is what you got to look out for. So when you left your house, you were aware. When I would go to go on the trains, I was psyched up for battle all the time. My mindset was, what do I do if I get attacked on the train? How am I going to? And even to this day, I get on the train. I, you know, a lot of times I travel late at night on the train. I get home from work late. And the trains are really safe, but... It's basically, the the trains would come, and I'm already, before the train even stops, sizing up all the people in the car. Like, where should I stand, and what happens if, you know, these are things that you kind of learn when you're growing up that that way, you know. So it's it's not the easiest thing, but I I wouldn't change it for anything. I I wouldn't, if someone says to me, you could have $100 million if you give up your childhood memories, I tell them, you know where you could stick that money, you know. Excuse me. Um, okay, so we're um, winding down and close to the end of our interview, so is there anything that you would uh, like to leave for the generation behind you that may listen and may want to know more about Cypress Hills East New York or, I would. or just uh, navigating through Brooklyn's gates? I would. I think Brooklyn is a lot, a lot safer now these days, but you still always have to watch out for yourself when you're there. But I think the most important thing is when we're young, we always want to grow up so quickly. When you're growing up in Brooklyn, that is the best time of your life. So cherish it, you know, cherish your family and your friends and stuff, because that will go with you, those memories, for the rest of your life. You know? Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.